name's Bond. James Bond. What do you think you're doing? Keeping the British hand up, sir. Blow up, 007. <laughs> this never happened to the other fellow. I'm the man. Every penny of it. So you put your money where your mouth is. Well, that's quite a nice little nothing you're almost wearing. I approve. I'll do anything for a woman with a knife. Shocking, positively shocking. You get your clothes on, I'll buy you a nice train. <laughs> Hello everybody and welcome to Double Oz 7, a James Bond podcast. Um, Australia's only one until thousands of other sites seem to creep up over time when uh, we're one of the first, we're the hipsters. But anyway, that's an uh, in-joke for a completely different thing. We are back for our ninth episode. I can't believe it's already been nine. Uh, and a very special one as we move away from the films, but we'll get into that in a second. I will say that I, my name is Groves Nolgren. And I am Lord Jack Lord. I mean, Seth Linder. I mean, Rick Van Nutter. I mean, Colin Hildig. Don't you mean Seth Linder? And I don't give a shit. I'm fucking George Lazenby. Literally or... Yes, hello. <laughs> this never happened to the other host. Actually, yeah. my name is my name is Ben Galore. <laughs> that was creepy. <laughs> um, yes, as I said, we are here for a special episode. Um, this time, we are recapping the sixties as a decade, not the whole decade of the sixties, just within the James Bond film series. Um, if we did the whole sixties, it may take a while, but we we might start sixty or seven one time or something, but. Um, yes, obviously there were six films within the 60s and it was the beginning of the series, if you don't count Barry Nelson in the 1954 esteemed television movie Casino Royale, um, which we don't because it probably sucks. Um, yeah, we, we are here to, I guess you would call it a retrospective to discuss some of the highs, the lows, what was introduced, what wasn't introduced, um... Oh, what wasn't continued on, I should say. Um, I've got a few finishing questions, uh, quick fire, I guess you could call it, talking about summarising the decade. Um, I guess we can start with our personal views on how we've been finding the rewatch so far and this series of podcasts Um Obviously, we also did our Spectre trailer and our introduction episode that we don't really fit into the 60s, but so far we've done six episodes on 60s James Bond films. So, I don't know, Colin, how have you been finding the experience so far? Yeah, I didn't think that I'd be picking up on so many new things because, uh, as I said in our first episode, I have already done a rewatch of all the Bond movies. I did one before Quantum came out. That took me, I think, maybe about three months and then before uh, skyfall came out i rewatched all 23 movies well up to skyfall in 23 days so i wasn't thinking that there'd be anything new here i'm like well this is you know just going to be rehash of whatever before but doing this project and watching the movies there's so many new things that you can pick up and i don't think there's uh Anyway, you could see these movies like a million times and always find new things so i've really been liking doing this and 
trying to pick things apart because I'm picking up on new things and I'm finding new complaints with movies that I didn't have before. I'm finding things that I like about these movies that I didn't. And then hearing other people's opinions too, like right after watching it, um, it's kind of making me look at some things uh, a lot differently. So I haven't yet had any big shakeups where there was a movie that I loved before and now I'm like, oh, I'm not too sure, but I'm sure there's going to be some uh, new opinions coming along the way. I'm enjoying it because for for most of the part, I haven't seen some of these movies in over a decade. Um, I, I haven't done a rewatch sort of going through them all in a very long time. So, um, for example, as we talked about on um, You Only Live Twice, I mean, I haven't seen that since high school. I think Thunderball I hadn't seen in quite some time uh, from Russia With Love. So I'm very much enjoying it because it's uh, letting me really, I guess, appreciate these films a lot more uh, as an adult compared to a teenager. Um, when I mean, you, you watch films differently, I think, when you're in high school compared to when you're, quote, mature. Well, even when uh, you're a 10-year-old. Well, exactly. That's when I started exactly. watching it, or earlier even. Um, so... It's it's really making it a very interesting uh, experience. I, I'm enjoying being able to come on to this and, and chat with two people that know a whole lot more about it than I do. I mean, I always thought that I was a James Bond fan, but I know nothing <laughs> compared to uh, the extent of what's in uh, my two co-host brains. And, but um, you did purchase the James Bond encyclopedia off eBay, so you're going to be in <laughs> next week, aren't you? And you have three or four Quantum Assault shirts. I don't think we could do that. <laughs> yes, and That's I will fan. say... And I have seen Die Another Day more than either of you two. So, look, I I will gladly uh, use my Pierce Brosnan-era knowledge over you uh, much more. But until then, I will enjoy the ride and uh, catch up on films that I haven't seen in a, quite a long time. Yeah, I've never... I've done a full rewatch recently. I think the earliest was 2012. But I have watched a lot of these films after that. I watched a chunk of them last year at the end of the year. Um, but I've never watched it in order, and I think it makes all the difference. And you really look at the films completely differently. Um, obviously, we'll talk about Diamonds Are Forever and how that fits in in order uh, next episode. But it really does change it. And I know people who like the series, but I don't really know people who know it in depth. So I've never got to have conversations like this and make stupid jokes um, with other people. So it's been a lot of fun and hearing people's feedbacks about the films. Um, and it's really made me appreciate a lot of them. Like I never viewed From Russia With Love as one of the all-time greats until this most recent rewatch and when we talked about it. And I think it's been a whole lot of fun. Um, so I guess... Uh, one thing I was going to ask, because talking about From Russia With Love is, while we're on the topic, uh, what have you two guys' favourite episode that we've recorded so far has been? Because for me, I've really enjoyed the From Russia With Love episode. I thought um, we had some great uh, moments with the Kralenku uh, theme song and the <laughs> the yogurt and the medium sweet and dark black and... Um, <laughs> M and Bond in Tokyo, but also diving quite deep into the mythology of the movie, which I hadn't really done before. So I really enjoyed that episode as highlight so far in this long journey, I guess you can call it, to to the uh, Spectre film. What about you, Colin? 
Um, yeah, I think I'd agree with you. Uh, I didn't think going in, like my assumption when we started this is that the episodes that would be the most fun would be the ones where it was kind of the worst movies. And I, I'm still holding to that, that when we get to some of these bad movies, those are going to be hilarious episodes. But for Rush With Love is anything but a bad movie. And uh, it's not even necessarily one of the funniest Bond movies. And I didn't think that there would have been as many things that we could have kind of found humorous about it. But as you said, the Bond's preference for coffee, uh, flip-flopping, <laughs> and uh, even even aside from some of the humor that uh, we found in the, the movie, you know, just being able to go over and over about how great Karen Bay is. I mean, we, we just covered <laughs> Draco in the last one, who I always love Draco, and I mean, Draco doesn't even come close to how great Karen Bay is, so... I'd probably agree with you. Yeah, Karen <laughs> populated all of Turkey, apparently. <laughs> but also, I, I would say the one that I'm listening to right now, like my wife is a big James Bond fan, and she's slowly going through these podcasts. So every once in a while when I'm in the car yes, with her, got a like, oh, we have yes. one listener. She lives with me. So you're listening to... You're listening too, so that makes two listeners, right? We have two, and unfortunately, Ben and Noah can't be bothered to listen to our show. Oh, so I'm not a fan of this show. This show sucks. I'm it for the money, which is not there's, non-existent. There's money. <laughs> oh, we didn't tell you. Oh, whoops. Awkward. Damn. Now I have to split the paycheck. Um. Yeah. Well, I have you finished, Colin? I, I didn't want to. Yeah. I, yeah. Go I, ahead. Sorry. Sorry. I just wanted to check. I want to be polite. Um. I'm getting. Canadian rubbed off onto me. I'm catching Canadian, just like um, people have been catching Scottish uh, throughout this. Uh, well, I mean, you, so it's funny you mentioned about not listening to them. I mean, I, I generally do not like listening to any sort of radio show oh, podcast yes. that I'm involved I in. I play in it's, a band. Yeah, well, that's good. I um, listen back to any music. All right, there was a segue involved there. I thought you were just sharing something there. No, I, I was about to say, I like cheese. <laughs> Getting so to know each Colin other, apparently. But, um, but not Colin. Um, but I, I almost feel the urge to go back and, and listen to these because I've had so much fun um, recording them and, and editing them and sort of going through that. And it's kind of each each episode I've found has had its own unique take on things and, and unique humour. And I, I love the fact that we've been able to keep some running jokes, um, <laughs> you know, from... I, I mean, just the first one, really, I feel, is our Spectre. 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 And it's, as soon as we hear a Spectre, um, that's the, the go-to <laughs> line. I love Noah's go-to. Ah! Mary scream, Mary which scream. was initially my Mary scream, but I think Noah's like taken over and just run. With it. You've got um, the quarrel scream. The quarrel scream. Ah! Um, oh. I love the I love the fact that Die Another Day seems to get referenced more than any other Bond film, and yet sixty six percent of people on this podcast hate it. Um, and it's not I, even you who brings it up the most. I'm looking yeah. at you, Colin. Um. I have to say that I've got two that I'm particularly fond of. And I mean, I did enjoy the uh, From Russia with Love one. I've enjoyed all of them. But I love the Dr. No one just because um, it involved so much mango tree love. <laughs> it involved so oh, much love quarrel, the mango tree. quarrel love. 
And I'm going to be completely biased and say that the most recent one that we've done on a Majesty's Secret Service. I mean, we got to speak about Lazenby for three freaking hours. <laughs> I mean, there's there's nothing more. Plus, it's such a great film, and to be able to sit through it and relive it. And even though in the films that we clearly love, we can sit down and have a bit of humour and and poke you know plot holes and poke a bit of fun at them. I, I still think it's great that we can then come to a conclusion right at the end that it's still a good film, and that. You know, we're still absolutely in love with George Lazenby. So, um, it's just, I've been enjoying this. And I don't give a rat's ass if Jamie's our only listener. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be selfish enough to say that I'm having fun and that's all that matters, right? Right? Yeah. Power to the people. If anybody out there wants to listen, please tell us that you are. <laughs> yes. You're yeah, allowed well, look to. If, don't you yeah, oh, no. I don't, don't get to that point and go, well, he doesn't want us to listen, so I'll just stop tuning out. <laughs> this is please the last keep, episode. Keep listening. Um, you know, this is a shorter episode for you folks. It's about half the length of our film ones. So, yeah, so um, a lot of people are probably starting on this one because... Three hours? Yes. No. Oh, the 60s. I don't like the 60s films. Let's see what they say about them. <laughs> um, but I I would like to know um, in terms of these rewatches and sort of the episodes and the things that we've um, discussed, um, expectations of films and, um, you know, going into them sort of what's changed, I guess. So... You know, I, I obviously Colin, you mentioned that you did a recent rewatch, and Noah, you've done rewatch, rewatches before. But I guess Noah, did you go into these with expectations about the films that maybe um, were different by the time the film had had finished? Um, the sixties is kind of an interesting decade uh, in the film series, not just as a whole. I'm sure it is an interesting decade, but um, because it's a lot more serious than what follow. Yet the production quality to follow. So while the films try and be a bit more serious, you had things like the motorized traction machine, um, <laughs> the extremely fast boat, and stuff like that that make it seem a bit silly. Um, as for expectations, I have to say, and I'm hoping things change a lot for me later on, but I've always viewed the original trilogy, as I call it, one of um, the all time greats. Um, Dr. No from Rush with Love, Goldfinger. And I've never been huge on Thunderbolt when you only live twice. And you saw um, throughout those five my opinions on it. So they haven't really changed, but I've definitely picked up a lot more things. Um, I think it will be interesting to see later what our favourite decade was. And I think the 60s could definitely be up there. I always knew it was kind of the golden age. And after really going in depth, you notice things that kind of lower it a bit. But I think it stands up there pretty firmly. I think for me, like I like Noah, I've rewatched these before, and you can rewatch the same series over and over again. But you kind of have to look for something that you you want to analyze in them. And the one thing I never really analyzed is the Spectre story. You know, you just watch Doctor No, and you have a loose mention of Spectre and small appearances from Blofeld uh, throughout and. I think also the fact that we have Spectre coming up, I really watched these first six movies from the point of view of, well, how heavy is Spectre in them? And uh, that was the one thing I wasn't expecting to uh, find as interesting. You know, I've mentioned several times about how now having covered this, I really see James Bond as like the first franchise with an overall story arc. This was like, you know, 
before Star Wars did it, before uh, you know Marvel did it. James Bond had this plan from start to finish, and you can see how they fit these things in throughout. Uh, the only thing that really has changed as far as my opinions go based on uh, this rewatch and looking at Spectre differently is, you know, I never looked at Largo as a bad villain. I always thought, well, he's a decent villain. And for whatever reason, looking at this from the point of view of Spectre, you know, I came off of Dr. No and from Russia with love. And he, he, even saying, you know, he doesn't compare to like Red Grant or Goldfinger or Dr. No. I mean, just the fact that you have Blofeld in the background. I mean, Largo really was unimpressive to me. And I'll still defend Thunderball as I think it's one of my favorite Bond movies. But uh, I was really surprised at how you look at the villains differently just knowing that Blofeld is in the background. Well, while we're talking about expectations, sorry, Ben, just to cut in, I do want to hear from Colin because you talked Thunderball up so much um, beforehand and in the lead-up um, and I'm not going to say we tore it down, but coming off the first three, we were a lot more negative on it. Has anything changed besides Largo on Thunderball, or will we still stand proud uh, defending that film? Like uh, its stock has kind of gone down over the years. I feel. No, I I don't think anything else on the, the movie has changed for me. Uh, a lot of the points we brought up, you know, that maybe I don't necessarily talk about a lot you know going in like how some of the underwater scenes go on a little bit long some of the underwater scenes are repetitive it's yeah vargas things like that (laughs) these are things that every single time i watch the movie i'll always pick up on like i mentioned how i was oh i don't even know if i told the story but you know obviously i mentioned that we went to nasa on our honeymoon and one night i was just up working late and i was watching thunderball and i was trying to figure out why i liked the movie so much because whenever I watch Thunderball, I will look at it and have those complaints. And I'll be like, you know, this probably could have been about 10, 15 minutes shorter. But it all seems to be forgiven, you know, when I watch the movie. And uh, it's still the same for me now. Like, before, when I go into the movie, I'm never really thinking, oh, well, I'll have to fast forward some of these scenes, which I don't. Uh, because I think the locations are just showed so well. But, uh, yes, yeah, it's one of those things I, I've always known there were issues with the movie. But the things that I love about the movie, I love enough that I always just I guess forgive it. I and I think I touched on it briefly in our intro episode. I was sort of always on the belief that, um, for the most part, James Bond films sort of before our Daniel Craig era really didn't have too much of a connection between films. You know, they were standalone films that um, really didn't need to be watched in order. I think that, it, as I said, it had been a while since I'd really seen a lot of these films, particularly, you know, the ones from the 60s and leading into the 70s. You know, I'd sort of really, whenever I attempted rewatches, I would, for the most part, actually almost do it in reverse order, sort of modern to old. And, you know, that would only sort of take me to the 80s and I would sort of stop. So I forgot, I guess, all these connections really, and my expectations of these Bond films being standalone films and not connected has changed, clearly, um, because it's sort of reminded me how much these early films are connected. And Noah, as sort of you point out, an early trilogy, so to speak, um, you know, it really is connected. And then we kind of get this whole consistent build-up between Spectre and, and Blofeld and all this sort of stuff throughout the 60s, which you know, really only sort of carries on one film more into the the 70s. Um, And I think really, like, expectations, I'll single out You Only Live Twice because, um, (laughs) you know, it's... 
it's such a over the top, fast paced, wacky film that I feel that I shouldn't have enjoyed as much as I did, even though it had so many things wrong with it. Um, it was fun. It was fun, exactly. Whereas, say, like a Thunderball, which um, I may be remembered as not being as bad as it initially was when I watched it on this rewatch. So, yeah, I guess expectations on, say, those two films have changed slightly. Um, and one thing, again, singling out on Emergency Secret Service, expectations rewatching it again that I couldn't have liked it any more than I already did. Well, that changed because I think, as I said in that episode... Every time I watch it, I feel that I I like it even more. And Lazenby's performance, um, I've always known it isn't the greatest, but I've always defended it. But when you really examine it, you notice some of the goofs and flaws, but you also pick up on the subtleties and some of the nice niceness of his acting. So uh, that was one thing I really looked for because Lazenby is awesome. Um, one thing that really stuck with me, I think it was from Russell Love, Maybe Dr. No Colin mentioned uh, Peter Hunt, not Peter Franks. Uh, that's next episode. <laughs> um, Peter Hunt's uh, editing style and the quick, quick rush uh, cutaways and to really make exciting action. Um, Grant train fight and then it really continued on um, from Russia. Uh, Majesty's had a lot of it, especially the beach fight, um, death by canoe, um, <laughs> And I really took note of that, and I truly think this series and the 60s revolutionised the action film. And I remember one of my film studies teachers, uh, video studies, whatever you call it, from a few years ago, said that the born identity was the birth of the modern action film, which no. I say BS. <laughs> and it really stuck with me, and I'm sure you can find some movies from the 50s or even the 60s that are similar to this series in terms of how it does the action but I've, I've watched a few uh, recent action films and you really noticed uh, kind of the birth of that style and to create exciting scenes. Um, so I guess my question on that would be what are some of the elements introduced within the 60s uh, Bond films that you think have moved on into mainstream cinema that still go today and also uh, that go into the Bond series? Like what what elements continue on and maybe what elements have stayed into the 60s, because there are some stuff that we don't really see later on in some of the other movies. Uh, yeah, so on the first part, um, obviously you touched on the fast-cutting action style. I mean, that's something that had never really been done before uh, when From Russia With Love came out, and uh, you still see that today. I mean, that is what makes an action movie. If you see an action movie and it doesn't have fast cuts, then it feels off. Uh, as far as storytelling goes, you know, obviously the idea that, that movies can be connected, like uh, me and Ben were saying, and, you know, even if you just have a very loose connection between them, these movies all tie together. Uh, that's something that continued on in movies. But uh, I'll, I'll say on the second part, that's something that kind of stayed here in the 60s as far as Bond yeah. goes, because once we get to the 70s, they just become standalone movies, unfortunately. And even with Diamonds Are Forever, I mean, Diamonds Are Forever is connected. Obviously, it is the final Blofeld, and you could say the final the Spectre, but I've never looked at Diamonds Are Forever as something that is a conclusion of what we saw in From Russia With Love, Thunderball, 
you only live twice and honor majesty secret service i mean it's kind of more a farce of what uh it's it's more just okay let's have fun and almost in a way parody what's come before this so um another thing that i will say that i think has uh continued on from the bond movies is that idea of bigger and better on the next one and every once in a while you do pull back but again i don't think if you look at other movie franchises that anybody ever did that before, you always try to top yourself on the next one. That's something that most people look at and they think, well, this is something that came about, you know, with the nineties or you know, the fast and furious movies do it. Sadly, um, not as well, <laughs> but uh, always want to top yourself, you know, coming up with a bigger villain, a bigger plot. To, that's something that will kind of get them into trouble in some of the future movies. Um, the only other thing I want to bring up of things that kind of stayed in the 60s, and I think this is one that's just something about the decade itself, is that I feel like Bond, after this point, it loses a little bit of the elegance in the class. And that's something that comes about just with the 70s itself. I think also Guy Hamilton, who's a little bit more of a uh, campy director and camp by nature is kind of lacking a little bit of class and doesn't mean that bond's not fun anymore it just means that that elegance and that class is unfortunately going to go after her majesty's secret service i think that i mean colin touched on it before by mentioning things like franchises and stories and all that sort of stuff i mean james bond you i i mean look correct me if i'm wrong it really was the first proper movie franchise was it not like as in i mean we'd had movie yeah, uh, no. no. Yeah, you have like the thirties. You've got like all these Frankenstein films and Dracula films but, and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I think though we could argue this is a franchise as far as it, it is all connected, and the movies are telling one storyline. I mean, I think that is probably more along what Ben's point. Yeah, is. I, I mean, yeah, I yeah. guess in terms of what I'm trying to say is that you know. It's a it's a collection of films that you. I mean, yeah, I get what you're saying with like a Frankenstein and all those sort of things, but you instantly know what a James Bond film is. You got the same actor basically throughout the entire decade, bar one film. Formulaic. Yeah, that's that's a good way of looking at. It. I mean, I guess in modern cinema, we are so used to sequels and and franchises, and I mean, it's just it's just what sells tickets really to movies i mean you look at any big blockbuster movie from the last decade and for the most part they're all sequels or you know part of a movie franchise whereas i guess in the 60s it wasn't as a common thing so you could argue that that really in terms of cinema itself it's down to a lot of the james bond films i mean we really i guess didn't see the age of the quote blockbuster till the 70s with like jaws and star wars and things like that but you know there are those elements with these bond films we've talked a lot about in each of these episodes how big these movies were you know each year i mean we had what four films released in three years basically to start these off these were big deals and, you know, this is pre-internet, pre-things like that. You know, this is a real um, huge thing for the time. Um, I think also you've got to look at, in terms of elements of these Bond films, uh, you know, the sexualization of women, I guess, in a way. Like, 
I mean, a lot of these scenes were quite controversial. I mean, we, we talked about things like Pussy Galore and Goldfinger, a simple name. You know, the censorship around that. We talked about um, Ursula Andress in Dr. No, you know, that bikini. It's so iconic now, and we look at that going, yes, wow, amazing. But at the time, that was quite controversial. You know, this is not something... Yeah, Mildred. Yeah, Mildred was just absolutely getting those grey hairs just, you know, turning purple. Like, it wasn't a big thing in the 60s. I mean, this was a, a time of revolution. You know, it was a sexual liberation period. You know, all these things that were happening off the, the cusp of the baby boomers here in the 50s. So, I mean, these were things that gradually found themselves more into film. That's not necessarily a positive thing, obviously, for, you know, treatment of females on screen, exactly, as we've talked a lot about in these films, is very cringeworthy over the time, and you can see why sort of the James Bond franchise has a bit of a reputation for being quite sexist. But Yeah, well, that's something that's kind of stayed. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Bond's not a sexist pig now. No, well, exactly, but... And also, like, look, we, we joke about the technology, and look, you, you know, they did what they could do in the 60s. Um, and, you know, there are obviously things that really have stayed in the 60s in terms of um, the quality of that. But also, introduced again, as I know we talked a lot about in a couple of, in, especially in On Imagine Secret Services, big stunts. You know, I mean, James Bond has always been known for the most part for doing their own stunts in these films. He's very much over the top stunts. And, I mean, that obviously came about. In um in this decade as well, so and and particularly as well, the formulaic thing that you mentioned, Noah, um, and I think we really saw that mainly in Goldfinger. Elements of it, of course, in From Russia with Love, it really set the standard of what formula a James Bond film follows, basically for for forty um, four years <laughs> until we obviously got to Casino Royale to sort of kick it off again and reboot it, so to speak. Well, it's kind of interesting because you mentioned like sequels and that. It's, we live in a sequel time um, where everything gets a sequel. But I feel like those films get quite criticised if they're very similar to their predecessor. While the Bond films kind of get a free pass on that because they are the same film over and over and over and over again. Um, so... I, I think it's quite unique in that form. And the fact that this film series has had 23 or 24 films now, like that's crazy talk. Um, not many other series get that. Um, and I guess the other thing I would add is the birthing period. Like those first three films, you definitely see a development in filmmaking style, but also on what this series is going to be. And by the time you get to Thunderbolt, it's kind of, they're still adding things, but the formula is kind of set. And then when we do our 70s episode, like Live and Let Die, Man with the Gun Gun, Spy Love Me, like they're, they're all great films and they add their own little uniqueness to the series, but they don't add anything. Maybe we can debate this later on, but they don't add anything like huge to the formula or anything like that. So something that really stayed in the 60s is what this series is going to be, I guess I would say, to conclude. Uh, I think one of the interesting things that uh, we unfortunately don't get to spend that much time on in the episodes because we have so much to cover is a lot of the behind-the-scenes stories and uh, the history of the franchise, trivia. You know, We could do an entire episode just on those things. Like, we, if, if we wanted to, we could have covered Honor Magic Secret Service just three hours of us talking about the movie and then another three hours of all the stories going on behind it. But... Uh, that's what I'm kind of curious about. Are there anything from like the behind the scenes stories of the franchise or uh, things about the books or anything that we've left out that uh, 
uh, either of you would like to bring up in this episode or, you know, from the first six movies from the decade of the 60s. Uh, for me, I find uh, just really quickly the the idea of the casting of James Bond is something that, you know, we talked a lot about well, the casting of Lazenby and we talked about uh, the casting of a lot of these villains and Bond girls. But if you go back to the casting of James Bond himself, I mean, Sean Connery is something that most people have probably heard this now, but if you haven't, Sean Connery was somebody that nobody really saw as James Bond. And when they were trying to make the movie, they really had to sell him uh, to a lot of the people involved because he just wasn't this sophisticated guy. He was more of a, a country guy and very rough. Uh, more you could consider him like you know a british cowboy almost and especially ian fleming i mean ian fleming is known for not liking sean connery at all it really took him until after from russia with love before he even accepted connery so that's one of the most uh, interesting things for me is a lot of these characters we can go on and on about the casting of the villains and the bond girls and some of the other people that were in the running and you know the surprises that came out of this. I guess um, I was fascinated, um, particularly the Thunderball one. I mean, I didn't really know too much about the whole battle uh, between the rights. Um, McClory! Um, I, <laughs> I I mean, I knew bits and pieces of it. Obviously, was aware of, you know, it led to, uh, you know, Never Say Never Again and everything that happened with that. But I guess I was fascinated with that. And I, I feel we could have, Definitely, as you were saying, Colin, you know, had an episode dedicated to the film and dedicated to things behind the scenes. We could do that with every movie, I feel. Um, and definitely a dedicated episode, just that whole situation. I and mean, it might be something we, we touch on maybe when we do Never Say Never Again. Guess what, folks? We're doing Never Say Never Again. Um, and, yeah, uh, the casting thing's an interesting point, too, because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very fascinating to learn that about Connery. And then we, we talked a bit about it on Her Majesty's Secret Service about how other people were in the running for the role and how Lazenby was, was discovered. And, you know, Roger Moore very nearly came in early. It was talked about Timothy Dalton, of course, was even discussed there. Hell, Daniel Craig probably is like a four-year-old was probably um, <laughs> considered. Like, all Bond actors <laughs> seem to be considered early on in their lives. In utero. Yeah, exactly. You know, the actor who will play Bond in Bond 43 has probably um, already been in casting talks as a new Bond. My fan theory is that they specifically breed them um, based off two pre-selected uh, mother and father and breed them to become the role. I'm just waiting for us to have, like, Roger Moore's son um, or, like, you know, an offspring be able to play one. But, I mean, I think this is a very fascinating time in the 60s in terms of that these were the films that were being based off books. Um, you know, not to say that ones in the 70s and 80s obviously weren't as well, but there was always going to come to a point where Ian Fleming's stories were going to run out and that, you know, new stories would have to be created and new elements and all that sort of stuff. So I found it particularly fascinating and um, would love to sort of know a whole lot more in regards to the books about The Order because, you know, I I guess I mentioned about The Order of these films, how there were elements that sort of continued on and how that sort of, to me, um, you know, changed my expectations and everything. But the fact that, for the most part, these films are not in the order of the books so we learnt a lot in these films. It seems that if you watch these um, films, don't make any sense. They do make sense in the context of how the books were set out, um, and particularly the fact that Honor Majesty's Secret Service seemed to always be the next film, but it just kept getting pushed back, you know, time and time again. They still want to make. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, but I mean, I guess the, the best 
bit of um, behind the scenes or anything that I learned throughout the entire decade of the uh, 1960s was gold prick. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yes, that was so good. Um, <laughs> I'm glad that you brought up the books, Ben, um, because that's we talked about the continuity and that's one thing I really love about Fleming's writing is these weren't just 13 books he wrote. Like You see character development and recurring themes throughout the book, so obviously that transcended into the, the movies. Um, but through doing these shows through my research, through jogging my memory or from YouTube bringing in trivia. Um, And I'm sure, Ben, you can attest to this. I've learned a hell of a lot more that I didn't already know um, or even or forgot over time behind the scenes. I obviously knew about the films, but just so much in there and there's so much to learn and my head's going to explode. Um, I think I need the encyclopedia there, Ben. um, Hasn't quite arrived yet, Noah. One thing I... <laughs> one one thing I've really noticed took took note of like I've always known who the directors were and which films they directed but I've never really taken too much notice of the style yeah. and um from from looking at the behind the scenes and not just the story aspect that's one thing and maybe that's just over time I analyze films a bit differently than I used to but I've really taken notice of what's a Terence Young film exactly and what's a Guy Hamilton. And then uh, when you bring in Peter Frank's Hunt, um, you really see that he knows what a Bond film is and you learn about the how they film these and you have the slow-mo. Um, so that's something I really uh, have taken notice of and I, I completely agree with you. Goldprick um, <laughs> was amazing. Um, and... We'll save this conversation, I'm sure, for our 70s uh, episode, but you did talk about the books, and for the most part, besides You Only Live Twice, these are pretty faithful to the books, probably the most faithful of them all, because once you get into Moonraker territory um, and then you start to run out of full length and you've got to do the short stories, we're still missing three short story film titles, which pisses me off, like, when can we see Risico the film? Um, I want that. But, yeah, so that's one thing that, kind of, I guess you could say, stayed in the 60s besides Casino Royale was how faithful they were towards the book. Um, But, yeah, Colin, do you have any more behind-the-scenes memories or things you've learnt or trivia that we may not have brought up? Yeah, well, there was one other thing I wanted to mention before I do on the topic of the books. uh, You know, we're eventually going to do an episode just on the Bond novels. You know, that'll come when Burnt... Ben uh, here finished his reading class. Or, or, or when I'm away. Uh. <laughs> ben would rather Ooh, good learn idea, ben. than learn how to read. There's the confirmation. <laughs> uh, but we we try to bring up, like at least with Noah and I, like differences from the book uh, throughout. And people would probably notice on You Only Live Twice, I think the only mention we have of the book in the entire thing was Ben asking us, you know, how similar is the book and us saying there is nothing in the book in this movie <laughs> he wasn't even an australian stupid kangaroo bar. that's right dicko wasn't even dicko he was damn it dinko uh, <laughs> uh yeah, darko was <laughs> <laughs> um but it is sad because you'll live twice is right up there among my favorite bond books of all time and i think you said the same thing yep. to me Noah. it's, it's, it's such a good book at the same time, it's understandable. But Rodal hates it. There's a behind the scenes. Oh, no. 
<laughs> Obviously, <laughs> stupid tweet. <laughs> I find it hard though. Like when I did read the book, I found it hard to picture them making a movie out of it. Uh, it is a very unusual plot, and it is yeah, a lot. It's a novel. Uh, the other problem is that the real meat of the Only Live Twice book is the ending, which is more appropriate for the ending of the entire franchise. I mean, it involves Bond, you know, getting amnesia and uh, having a child and uh, taking a real life and all these things. And it's it, it, it kind of thought, <laughs> I always thought it was a very tragic ending to Bond that would have been appropriate if it was the final novel. So I've never read The Man with the Golden Gun. I think it's the only one of the full novels I've never read for that reason, because I see you only live twice as like a great tragic ending to the series. Um, off Leave the it there, Colin. Don't even, don't even bother. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah, um, I've read it. Don't bother. The the only other bit of trivia that I really wanted to touch on, and again, I don't know how much this is trivia, but we didn't really get to talk a lot. We were so excited about talking about Lazenby's casting uh, that we didn't really talk about why Sean Connery left the series. And I think there's a lot of stories that go around. Uh, the story at the time that broke had a lot to do with filming in Japan, and we were in awe of how Sean Connery was on the real locations. You know, it wasn't like Kentucky or uh, Miami, where it's just a projection Miami. screen. Sean Connery was there, and he was in the middle of these crowds, and the press in Japan was so invasive that there are a couple of interviews you can even see of uh, Cubby Broccoli scolding the press and saying, give the man his privacy. You know, you're wrecking our movie. That had a lot to do with why he stepped down. But, I mean, the real story that came up years later uh, was that Sean Connery was always tr trying to get a better deal. You know, the deal he signed for James Bond for whatever it was, five, six movies, was basically one base salary. And his his salary never went up from movie to movie. And I think if there was one mistake that uh, Broccoli and Salton made, that obviously, you know, you sign a contract, you can stick to the contract. But as the movies are getting bigger, you know, protect your star, make sure your star is happy. And I don't know whether it was that Connery was never getting these appropriate raises or that Connery just always saw he should have gotten more money. And Connery himself has been very outspoken in years since talking about how he didn't get paid what he thought he was worth. There's even, you know, a rumor that uh, he faked an injury during Goldfinger, hoping to get more money out of it. So the how Connery departed, very interesting. And we're going to cover a little bit about how Connery came back in when we do get to the 70s. Um, yeah, there's, there's a great story. I think it's on the Only Live Twice uh, documentary. Is like They were trying to take photos of Connery in the toilet. And like they were just crazy mm -hmm. in Japan. Um, like They put a camera underneath the toilet or something, something silly like that. Um, and then, of course, uh, you pretty much covered it, but I guess... Uh, one thing I've also heard is Casino Royale spoof came out the same time as You Only Live Twice, roughly, and that mm. was very successful, and I think that pissed Connery off as well, the fact that a, a comedy film was getting uh, more or equal success to the real thing. And um, I always forget, is it Broccoli or Saltzman that he had issues with? There was, I think, Saltzman... Uh -huh. Yeah, well, I, I know he had issues with both. Um, Broccoli is the one, because Broccoli was involved in the franchise later on, that he spoke out more about. But I'm pretty sure there were issues with Saltzman as well. Yeah, there's been some interviews I've watched where he said some, like, ooh, like, did he really say that about him on, on a TV broadcast? Uh, yeah, there's, so. just really quickly, just to butt in there, um, 
there's a channel here in North America called Turner Classic Movies where they just air old movies from like the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And one of the cool things they do is they'll have interviews with Johnny Carson when he was the host of Tonight Show just in between movies. And I saw one with Sean Connery from the late 70s. So this is long after he was in the Bond series. And Johnny Carson is asking him who was the biggest villain in the history of the Bond oh, yes, I've seen. his answer was <laughs> Covey Broccoli. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> classic Connery um, wit um, but yeah sometimes he seemed like a bit of a pain in the ass to work with old Connery um, but if you're listening to this Sean we love you um, <laughs> I read a I read a very um, just quickly an, an article recently that was um, it was titled something like celebrities who are respected who you should actually hate and Sean Connery, <laughs> Connery on well, he was, because um, allegedly in an interview in the 60s or something, he said it was okay to hit women. Oh, yes, and, I've seen And that. then apparently in, like, the 2000s, it was alleged that one of his ex-wives said that he was an abusive husband. So they're basically saying that Sean Connery's a prick and you should hate him. So, mm, uh, yeah, anyway, I just thought I would add that. But, uh, we love you, Sean. And then, but <laughs> and then number one on the list of celebrities you hate but should love is George Lazenby. Yes, exactly, exactly, <laughs> with a bullet. Up up the top, yeah. Um, so we're going to go into, I guess you call them quickfire questions. We won't give one-word answers. We'll have a bit of a debate or a bit of a discussion on it. But kind of just to summarise some of these um tropes that are so frequent with our, the, throughout the films and give our favourite, uh, well, there's a whole list of them here and we won't spoil what they are, but give our favourite one of each topic just to summarise and then we'll do this for each decade. Um, and so we may as well get into it um, and I will say that the first question here is what is your favourite main girl throughout these six films so not you not your sylvia trenches we're talking your <laughs> honey riders your tanyas your pussies your <laughs> dominoes your oh i guess your kissies but that Whoa. one's debatable and uh your tracy's Woo. um so colin do you want to jump in on this one yeah you know i talked a lot about how good domino was as a bond girl uh going into this and i still stand by that um but having said that, I always kind of default to Tracy. And again, I was I was talking about how you know Thunderball. There's things that uh, you know I have issues with the movie, and I just sort of forgive it. And I forget sometimes I forget when I go into it. Uh, I with Tracy, whenever I'm watching the movie, I'm always like Tracy is amazing. And then the more time that passes since I watch Under My Secret Service, I'll kind of be like, yeah, I guess Tracy was okay. And Every time I watch the movie, I always go back to Tracy. I think that she's such a good character. And even if this were just a regular character on its own and there was nothing to do with Bond getting married, then Tracy is amazing. And Diana Rigg is so good as Tracy. We talked about how she gave the best performance and maybe the franchise up until this point. But with the fact that Bond gets married, that adds so much more to it. Just as such a simple plot point because you buy this and uh, I don't think there's anybody that would question if you have Bond marrying Honey Rider or uh, Pussy Galore, you know, you're scratching your head. Well, I don't get Bond getting married, but nobody questions it with Tracy. And I think by far she's the nobody best does it girl. better. <laughs> nobody does it better than Tracy. Although I wish sometimes others would though. <laughs> yeah, so we'll get to that film. <laughs> Nobody does it half as good as you, Noah. Um, 
Maybe you're the best. <laughs> I wasn't looking, but oh, sorry, I thought we were just breaking out into songs. No! <laughs> he has a powerful weapon. <laughs> <laughs> All time high. Moon Raker. <laughs> Um, <laughs> on a Majesty Secret Service <laughs> Spectre um, <laughs> It's going to be the best episode when we do the song episode um, <laughs> Well I've got one word for you Dink um, <laughs> <laughs> Mean girl <laughs> No, That's Felix's man yeah. Yes exactly um, you know, Tracy by far um, I mean Colin I think covered it but yeah, I, I went over it a lot in the last episode that, I mean, Diana Rigg is just such a great actress and just the chemistry between her and Lazenby, like, you know, I, I ignore the fact that they might have hated each other in real life. I don't care. Um, this George Lazenby. You can't hate George Lazenby. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, you just you just believed that they could get married. Um, it was just, it's just such great connection between the two. Um, I, I'm a Domino fan as well. Um, I think it's probably maybe behind uh, Tracy's most attractive Bond girl from the uh, 60s. Um, you, you, Except for Nikki Van as well. Well, we haven't even mentioned her yet. Gee, what are we doing? Um, of course, Honey Rider, um, you know, the, the original. Um, she had a great backstory that, um, you know, wasn't maybe as explored as much as apparently in the book, um, which uh, obviously... Um, was a bit disappointing, but still, you know, she is the original and you've always got to put her up there. Um, and yeah, I mean, a, a special, special nod to, um, uh, Tatiana. What's I mean, How many names did she have in Bloody From Russia With Love? Yeah, Tatiana. Yeah, Tanya. but she, Tanya, Tatiana, whatever you want to say. Um, you know, she, she obviously, her and Bond had this connection before they'd even met, perving each other on pictures, the original Tinder. Um, but yeah, the scene with them when they meet and, you know, they're getting filmed and obviously we talked a lot about in that episode, which is still the screen test basically between Bond and potential Bond girls. So I think on that scene alone and how good that film was, as obviously we mentioned, that puts her right up there too as, uh, one of my favorites from the decade. That's good, so, Ben. Your favorite is four out of the six. All of them. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. You could have just so, said all of them. <laughs> well, I didn't mention pussy and kissy, so... Uh... <laughs> so, uh, what what would you say if you had to give a definite answer to summarize oh, uh, which one would it be? Tracy. Um, for me, I think we can rule out kissy straight Boo! away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Screw you, kissy. Um... Well, one behind-the-scenes trivia we didn't bring up on You Only Live Twice was they fired the actress who played Kissy, but she threatened to kill herself oh. um, when she got fired, so they were forced to have her within the film. So she wasn't even supposed to be there. So she was basically she... the um, the inspiration for Tracy. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, um, like the actress, uh, if she wasn't in this film, she wouldn't be alive. And she was in the film and she sucked. So it was a bit of a predicament. So there you go, aspiring actresses. <laughs> oh, um, if you want to get into Hollywood. I'm going to be the next Bond um, girl. <laughs> yeah. Tanya is an interesting one because before this rewatch, I would have put her really high up. And I don't dislike her at all, but after rewatching it, there were some moments where I'm like, oh, she's not as good as I remembered. Like sometimes she was a bit whiny. Uh, Pussy's great, but I think we all established that 
maybe a bit overrated and not as great as the iconic moments. So for me, it really comes down to two, which is Honey and Tracy. And I think I'm probably going to have to go with Tracy too because she's in a lot of the film and when she is in there, she's great. Honey, I probably prefer as a character, but she's in so little of the film um, that it's hard to really judge this. So I think Tracy's up there. But when we do our full ranking list, I think both Honey and Tracy will be easily in the top ten, if not top five. Um, special shout-out to Nikki Van Der Zyl, who plays uh, Honey's voice. <laughs> Underneath the mango tree. Yeah, we've covered the main Bond girls, so now we have to cover the secondary Bond girls. So the, this would be... There's a lot more than we won't go through all, but you, know, like you could have Miss Terrell or uh, Tilly, Sylvia. Jill, S- Sylvia, um, Fiona, Aki, Paula. Ruby, Paula. Maybe we can cover all of them, but uh, that would be the next question. Dink, <laughs> there you go. And Ben, you're the first one up. You've got to tell us, <laughs> is Dink the best secondary Bond girl of the 60s? She has to be. Like, um, She's Dink. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, I love Dink, but she's in it for what, like three seconds. So um, I'd probably have to say Tilly because, look, from what, because I mean, purely based on the fact that I, I'm sort of want to read the book more now that, as you guys explained, that she was more of a a character in the book than she was in the film. And besides her fantastic beeping ability, um, I mean, she she had a... Like, again, we mentioned a lot about backstories of these Bond girls and characters and all that sort of stuff, but, like, she had that backstory. You know, she was avenging her sister's death. And, like, that, to me, straight away, is, like, a great, you know, a, a great element for a, a Bond girl to have and why that would lead them to working with Bond. So... Um, you know, I'm not going to name uh, 80% of all the uh, Bond <laughs> secondary category ca- uh, girls. That's the word I'm looking for. Categories and girls. Same word, apparently. Um, but I'll, I'll stick with Tilly. I like Tilly. A uh, special shout-out to Sylvia, one of Bond's only recurring girlfriends. Um, she's still hunting him down in that polar bear suit. She wants her revenge. <laughs> uh, she's joined She's joined the art department, um, pretending to hunt Dr. No so she can get to Bond. Um for me, also shout out to Paula. I love Paula. Um, for me, it has to be Aki because she's she is the main Bond girl of that one. Really, she's in, she's in so much more of it than Kissy, and she's just such a great character. Um, always saving the day. Like she, it was so tragic with her death, although not as tragic as Tracy's, of course. Um, I really wish Aki was just in it through the entire film and Kissy didn't even exist, but that's what happens when you threaten to jump out a window. Um, (laughs) Screw you, Kissy. Um, Aki is such a brilliant character and someone I hadn't appreciated until this recent rewatch. And then a special shout-out to Fiona Volpe, if you count her as a a secondary girl. Some might say she's a henchwoman rather than a secondary girl. But for me, Aki... I'll count Fiona Volpe because that's hands down my vote. Uh, I think that you could, like you said, you could include her in the henchman list. You could include her in there with the main Bond girls, just because I think that she made such a presence uh, in that movie, especially for an original character that wasn't in the book. They did such a good job with her. And 
she was put in there to kind of silence a lot of the critics of the movies. Uh, so there's some interesting history as to why her character was written. Um, really strong villain. I mean, I'd argue that she could have made a better full villain than Largo, too. And you could put her up there as far as attractiveness with Domino and Tracy easily, too. Um, she's easy. I would put her among some of the best secondary Bond girls of the whole 40, 50 years and probably up there with the best henchmen, too. So I love Fiona. Um, I think the next one, I mean, obviously, we've got to find out. We've talked about girls, um, the evil bastards. These, of course, can, I guess, girls you can group into them there. Colin, as you mentioned, a few. But um, I think we should probably go now with your favourite villain and your favourite henchman. I'm going to group them both together. So, uh, Noah, who do you think? Um, this is one thing that the 60s does really well. I think the 70s and 80s kind of lose sight on great villains a little bit. Um, but for the most part, let's get rid of Largo because, come on. Boo. Um, yeah. So for the main villain, I'm thinking... I don't know if this will be a joke if I say this, but I'm considering Dr. No. I freaking love Dr. No and his creepy tucking into the bed with his claw hands. But again, like, honey, he's in so little of the film, it's hard to have that. Um, so I think never been one of my all-time favourites. He's up there, but he's top ten, but not all-time favourite. Um, I love Rosa and Grant, but they, they're not main villainy enough for me. So... I think I'm probably going to go with Donald Pleasant's portrayal of Blofeld for this one. I think that's great. I, I love his reveal still. Um, and for henchmen, there's been so great. Of course, we've got to mention the three blind mice. We love the three blind mice, um, but we don't like Dent. Boo! I think yeah, Fiona Volpe is great. Vargas is, is just... Let's not even talk about Vargas. Um and we've had some shockers after that, Vargas and Hans and uh, Sean Campbell. Well, Sean Campbell wasn't a henchman, but Vargas and Hans just suck. Um, I think a lot of people are expecting me to say odd job, but to me the epitome of Bond henchmen is Red Grant, and he's in so much of the film. I think he's a great villain. I almost wish he wasn't killed off so he could be a recurring henchman like Jaws was. Um, yeah, I, I kind of wanted to say odd job too, but... This is one of those cool things about rewatching the movies that you appreciate things on a different level and you're not just looking at every movie on its own. I think I'm going to go with Irma Bunt. She's, <laughs> oh, she's a fun Fruin. character. Yeah, she's Fraulein Bunt is a fun character. You know, she's got some humor. She's got that crazy Schwarzenegger accent. And <laughs> she kills Tracy. And I think the fact that in the end, it's not Blofeld who kills Bond's wife it's it's bunt that kills her i mean that's she's the deadliest i would say of uh, all the henchmen and uh yeah i i'm gonna go with her Krelenko. oh and then as far as the, oh. Oh, i forgot <laughs> <the henchmen. laughs> you ruined then, my segue there call it damn it <laughs> so anxious to get on with his, his krelenko that uh <laughs> I, I skipped the henchman uh, or the the best villain sorry uh yeah so of the villains the main villains uh, in a way, I feel like you could toss out the Blofelds because one kind of cancels out the other and you don't see enough of Pleasance and I think he's the stronger one. So for me, Goldfinger has to stand up. And that's funny because most of the time when I'm looking at the Bond villains, I don't always remember Goldfinger because he is just kind of a silly villain. 
but he's such an entertaining silly villain and his plot is absurd and he's absurd Not and Bert. Bert's delivery <laughs> is absurd but he's so much fun <clears throat> excuse me Krelenko Krelenko <laughs> um no, I, I had to put a special mention to him. Look, I'm going to say odd job just because he's not getting any love. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, ah! Um, look, he he is kind of on a rewatch. Kill now! On a, on a rewatch, he, you know, is, a, I guess, a little bit more insignificant, perhaps, than you, you remember, but... Look, the final fight sequence with Bond is is amazing. And just he's got that level of craziness about him. He's always smiling, like he's kicking Bond's ass, and he's just laughing the whole time. He's just having this fun with him. And you know, the the hat is just iconic as a as a weapon. Um, you know, and it created random task in the Austin Powers films. Um, uh, for the villains, look, I, I mean Blofeld, Donald. We've gone with that, um, and. I think that Dr. No's up there, but I'll be a bit of a sheep with Colin and say Goldfinger just because, you know, he's he's a bit... He's a very OTT and he's a bit of a, a you know, a, a dag, really. Um, but he's still Goldfinger and, uh, you know, the whole sequence with the laser and Bond and you expect me to talk, I mean, it just... Again, there's a level of evilness to him, even though he's a bit of a, a buffoon sometimes. That I, I like a really good, crazy villain who you honestly believe is going to just rip the shit out of you if you mess with them. And, um, you know, Goldfinger to me is arguably one of, if not the main one, who will do that in the 60s. All right, next question. Um, this one is, what is your favourite ally from the first six films from the 60s so that's your quarrels your caroms your uh, um pinders uh your sean campbells uh your dracos <laughs> and also also on that note your favorite felix and we all know there is only one answer to that question Colin. yeah well felix is jack lord but um Special little yes. shout out to Seth Slinder. Just so that we can say Yeah, It's funny because when you mention best ally, almost every person, if you look at the Bond series as a whole, will say Felix. But I would argue that outside of Jack Lord and Jeffrey Wright, none of them make an impression uh, strong enough to really matter. I would love to say Draco just because I think there's so many different layers to his character, but. I don't think there's any answer but Karim Bay in this. I mean, we spent half of From Russia with Love talking about Karim Bay and how incredible he was. Uh, again, a character like Draco, there's a lot of different layers to him, and uh, the the performance by Armanderas is so strong. And knowing that it's his last performance, I mean, it just makes the death scene tragic. I mean, I love it. that movie. Doesn't work without Karim Bay, so I have to go with him. Well, I, I could argue Q. But, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, look, he's obviously a staple part Mate. of it. No, I can't. Um, yeah, clear winner for... Boothroyd from Dr. No. <laughs> That's who <laughs> I was thinking of. Um, I definitely would say Rick Van Nutter for Felix. Um, <laughs> 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 just because he gets punched. Um, Don't even joke. <laughs> Colonel Smithers. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, the caddy. Secretary with dog. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, look, 
because I think we're all probably in agreement, Karen Bay, I just, I'm going to do it. I've got to give Quarrel some love because, <laughs> you know, Quarrel is just Quarrel and the poor guy is still burning out in Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> and he maybe could be put out anytime soon. So, um, got to give my man Quarrel some love. Jump in a breaker arm. <laughs> yeah, um... Don't even joke about Cesspool Linda and Rick Van Nuthead. It's not even funny. Um, and where was Felix at the wedding? Come on. But it has to be Jack Lord. He's awesome. And for the ally, yeah, special shout-out to Sean Campbell. Still hanging up in the Alps. Um, I saw but, it in the brochure. <laughs> uh, we also didn't mention Tiger Tanaka. He's awesome. Uh, Japanese proverb. He's great. Um You've mentioned Kerem, and you summed it up pretty good, Colin. Kerem is amazing, and we love him. I love most of the allies, the main ones, Draco, Kerem, Tiger. But I'm going to join Ben here, and you know my real answer is Kerem, but I have to say I'm a quarrel guy through and through. He's just amazing, burning in the pit, believing in dragons that turn out to be true when Bond dismisses him. Um, Captain, drop me to break your arm. Hanging out at Pussfella's bar with Pussfella and the crazy dancing guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I freaking love Quarrel, and it's going to be disappointing when we see Quarrel Jr. and Live and Let Die. Uh, the next thing we can really cover, uh, we'll, we'll group these two together, even though it's going to give us a lot to talk about, but uh, we have the pre-title sequences, which really started with From Russia With Love, not Dr. No, and then the main theme song. So, uh, all, obviously, things like All the Time in the World don't count. But uh, do you know that Christmas or how Christmas trees are grown, unfortunately, does not count? <laughs> unfortunately, uh, underneath the mango there. tree doesn't no count. No mango tree. That always counts. No Treat by mice. Bongo. To be honest, we could do a best secondary theme song whole podcast. Oh, on what this. the hell? I Let's join that. California Girls. Let's throw that in yeah, there, too. Let's... Let's do the best pre-title sequence and then the best main theme and best secondary theme. Ben. Uh, uh, so, best pre-titled sequence, um, I am going to go with, um, I'm going to go with Thunderball, just for the jetpack, um, and I'm going to be a bit different there, because I know that, I'm probably assuming I'm going to be the only person who would say that, um, but I, I mean, the jetpack is just iconic, and it's just fun, and let's be honest, who the hell was expecting James Bond to emerge from a fight with a man dressed as a woman and escape on a fucking jetpack? So, that's awesome. Um, main, the t- title, um, it's gotta be, it's gotta be Shirley and, and Goldfinger. Um, look, on a Majesty's Secret, the theme, obviously, is up there, but just based purely on a song, with words, um, I'm going for Goldfinger, um, and so we're actually saying best secondary song. Well, it's Mango Tree. Like, are we even going to debate that? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, the best song so far. Yeah, it's probably going to have to go with. Actually, I'm going to go with Honor Majesty's Secret Service. The instrumental, it's great. Uh, uh, shout out to Bumba da Bumba da Bumba da Bumba da Three Blind Mice. That mess of a theme. Um, uh, as for title sequence, though, I think that's a separate one. I'm going to give that to Thunderbolt. Like, that's the first title sequence to me with the girls swimming around the water. And then after that, we go to stock footage of volcanoes, which was disappointing. So. <laughs> I think as for title sequence, it's Thunderball. I think that still holds up. It's amazing. The cut, the blue colours used there. Um, 
yeah, and title song on a Majesty's Secret Service. Secondary song has to be underneath the mango tree. I mean, it came back in on a Majesty's, and we also had Bond singing for the first and only time, and Nikki singing, so it has to be that. Um, as for pre-title, not from Rush With Love, not Thunderbolt. The jetpack's awesome, but fighting Bob Simmons in drag is a bit weird. Um, you Only Live Twice, no... I'm going to give this one, Goldfinger is great, I'm going to give it to Majesties because it has this never happened to the other fellow and you have uh, Lazenby bashing up these guys on the beach um, and then Death by Canoe and you've got the great hidden Bond in driving in the car with the theme song, so Majesties for me. Yeah, I would love to say Majesties just because that's one of the things that really changed through doing these podcasts. I always would look back on the opening from Honor Majesty's Secret Service and not really think it was that great. I'm like, it's just a fight scene and it's got a weird one-liner on the end. But going over it this past time, there was so much to like about that and how the the stunts were done. The fight was great. Uh, Everything about it was great. But I will flip-flop with Noah and I'm going to give the shout-out to Goldfinger. There's really nothing in the Goldfinger pre-title sequence that you don't get in the others. It's so standard, but it's just so much fun. And you have Bond just doing a thousand things in about four minutes. I mean, he's got the the wetsuit with the bird hat. He's got the the grappling hook that comes out of the ground for some reason. (laughs) He he blows it up, you know, just casually blows something up. Miami, the the bartender, seeing a reflection in a woman's eye. I mean... The the shocking, positively shocking, it's just so good. For the title sequence, uh, I have to agree, Thunderball. I don't think anything can top Thunderball. Uh, but the theme songs, it has to be Goldfinger for me. I mean, I think that Goldfinger can still stand up among all of the Bond movies as one of the greatest theme songs ever. So I love that one. And uh, I'm going to go against the mango tree here and hey. say my favorite secondary song is do you know how Christmas trees are grown? <laughs> the lyrics are hilarious if you ever get a chance to listen to it. Do you know how and... mango trees are grown? <laughs> <laughs> they need sunshine and raindrops. <laughs> Friendship and kindness. <laughs> this is just because I-, I love Christmas music. I mean, I'll-, I'll listen to Christmas music for all of November, December, some of October, and I find ways to fit a James Bond Christmas song onto all Christmas playlists, <laughs> so I'm going with that one. Uh, I, my title uh, sequence, I uh, didn't mention that, Thunderball, I would agree, although special shout-out to Honor Majesty's Secret Service for the return of Random Samurai, Samurai um, <laughs> Sword Man. Um, so next one, we will go with um, best cue scene and best gadget. I guess we can sort of combine them together because generally the gadgets are introduced in the queue scenes. Uh, not a whole lot to choose from, I guess, for the 60s compared to our future decades, but... No. Well, yeah, that's one thing that we can mention. I think these cue scenes definitely progress as we go on, and so do the gadgets, um, and then degress, if you want to make up a word, when we get to Ben Wishaw. Um, so, for me, cue scene, it, it can't be Boothroyd. If you pick Boothroyd, you're out. Um, for, uh, uh, Russia with... Russian Love is great. I love how he talks about the case and like this, but it is a bit flat. Thunderball is fun when you have Q on the scene, but for me it comes down to two, which is Goldfinger and um, You Only Live Twice, because I love how Q is Little Nelly's father. That's great, and he shows up to assemble it. But for me it has to be Goldfinger. 
with the uh, ejector seat and so much greatness with the Aston Martin. That's kind of the birth of the Q scene. As for Gadget, the Aston Martin is so good. I love little Nelly. But I don't think you can beat the simpleness of the attaché case with the 50 gold sovereigns and the smoke and turn it like this. Um, I really love how, just how simple that is and it fits so well with the spy movie. So it's little, but I'm going with the attaché case for best gadget so far. For the Q scenes, uh, I'm kind of interested to see what Ben answers because I don't know if there really is anything better than Goldfinger. You know, what we saw in Thunderball and You Only Live Twice is kind of just repeated but on the scene. So, you know, maybe having a different location makes it better. But the Goldfinger really can't be topped. I mean, they, they started with all the humor in there. And uh, once you get to especially to the Pierce Brosnan movies, they're not doing what they did with Roger Moore where they're just, you know, trying to up the ante every time. They're like, let's just redo the Goldfinger scene every single time. So... Uh, I love the Goldfinger one. And then uh, for the best gadget, uh, it, it's it's going to sound like a strange one, but I'm going to answer the rebreather he has where he can breathe underwater for so long. You know, you don't get uh, like a big shock out of it like you would with an ejector seat or a gas grenade going off, but it's a gadget that appears over and over again jet throughout pack. the movie. Or the jetpack, yeah. But like the rebreather, it, it appears over and over again throughout the movie. It appears in You Only Live Twice. Uh, it appears in uh, uh, another future movie that I won't Which mention. one? Which one, Colin? <laughs> never Say Never Again? Yeah, Never Say Die Another Day Again, it appears. <laughs> and I'm going to argue it should appear again, because it's a cool idea. And again, knowing the behind-the-scenes stories, we talked about how they were getting phone calls from, I think it was the government, saying, how does this thing work? We're really interested. And they're like, well, it didn't work. You know, he just held his breath and we cut away because people didn't understand how movies were made. <laughs> um, I'm going to go a bit Damn you, Mildred. left field with the Q scene. I, I would agree, definitely, Thunder. Uh, sorry, Goldfinger. But this is... A sh- I, I know the point of the Q scene. It's, you know, the whole initiate the gadgets and everything. But I really enjoyed the Q interaction on, on Her Majesty's Secret Service at the wedding. I, I don't know if we can count that because, like... In all seriousness, I just love the Counts. the interaction between Q and, and Bond because, I mean, do we really get that? That's more of a sort of a human side to Q, like, hey, he actually cares about this guy. He's almost like treating him like he's his son or something like that. So um, I just I just love that. And we got hardly any Q in um, that besides radioactive lint. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to go with that. And for Gadget... Uh, jetpack. I just love the jetpack. Um, I mean, we don't we don't get to see Q introduce the jetpack, but you know, I mean, jetpack something you would believe that would be introduced maybe in the eighties or something, but we get it in the sixties. So I just fucking love it. And it was real. And exactly, yeah, it was, and it was real. real. And I I, I love the jetpack. Sadly, no uh, love for the lint. Sorry, no, Q. sorry, Q. <laughs> and the Geiger count, uh, which downsized after each. Film from Doctor No um, and the safe cracker that seemed to upsize. Right, this is the last film. one. Yeah, <laughs> they're all over the shop at Q Branch in the sixties. Um, this is the last set of questions. Um, I- recurring tropes um, and elements throughout the films, but if we miss something, let us know and we can add it to the list of questions for the seventies. But to add it all, uh, finish it off appropriately, we're talking about the best vehicle battle throughout um i think every film has had one up to this point and also the best climax battle um 
which they kind of grew over the time. I'm not sure if you'd say that From Russia With Love and Dr. No had one, but you would still count it if you wanted to. Um, so Colin Climax Battle and Vehicle Battle. Um, I'll get back to the Vehicle Battle because uh, I'm still mulling that one over. Uh, for the Climax Battle, it's so tough for me between the last two. Uh, you only live twice in Honor Majesty's Secret Service. You know, I love everything about Honor Majesty's Secret Service. But uh, as as much as I dislike the movie, I said over and over again during the 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 episode that everything with that movie is forgiven when you're in the volcano, and uh, that is the most massive sequence I think they ever ever orchestrated. There's so much going on. Ninjas dropping from the roof. You got bullets, grenades. You have pawns. You have piranhas. You have Blofeld and this maniacal kill Bond now. Like everything uh, about that just works so well. So I'm going to go with You Only Live Twice, even though I don't like the movie. And I wish I didn't have to do this, but no, I was going to say The Little Nelly, but again, we talked over some of the issues with how that sequence is set up and it just seems so random. So uh, I don't think I can go with that. Uh, I'm going to go with the, the Goldfinger car chase. Uh, it's small compared to what we get later on in the series. But again, there's so much going on in that. And you get the use of the ejector seat. And uh, Odd Job is just so funny in that scene, you know, when Bond gets caught. And that's one thing that I think as we get into Diamonds Are Forever, Live and Let Die, and A Man with the Golden Gun, which I don't think any of those are great movies. And I don't think Guy Hamilton did a great job with any of them. The one thing Guy Hamilton's really good at is vehicles. And he demonstrated that here in Goldfinger. So I'm going to go with that one. I'm glad, um, Noah, when you said best climax, you uh, pretty much added uh, climax uh, scene or battle because uh, <laughs> I was going to pick, like, uh, well, Bond. Jill. Bond with Jill. <laughs> Bond with. Uh, Sylvia. Sylvia, yes. Uh, uh, climax, you only live twice for sure. Um, yeah, volcano, lair, ninjas. Um, you know, sword guy, sword guy, uh, Blofeld, Blofeld's pussy. Um, you know, Bond nearly going into space. <laughs> 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 Not thinking that through. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, and uh, there's a bit of a problem. Um, I'm in space. Um, if I six, we have a problem. So, yeah, definitely that. Uh, battle, yeah, again, I'm not going to be original. Goldfinger. Um, although, special shout-out to Honor Majesty's Secret Service Car Chase. Um, I mean, if we can add the ski, I mean, vehicles or skis, class of vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> the ski. Maybe the bobsled. The bobsled, well, it's a vehicle. Um, we didn't necessarily say motorised vehicle. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm basically going to stick to what Colin said. Uh, worst vehicle moment is the motorized traction machine, um, <laughs> followed up by Largo's extremely fast 20 knots. <laughs> <laughs> Still can't live that down. Um, this is like a special note of Dr. No and the three blind mice, which just is so ridiculous. Um, I love the boat chase in From Russia With Love. That's quite fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, Majesties, I really freaking love that chase through, and that they end up in a car, an illegal car race in the Swiss mountains. Like, who came up with that? But it's amazing. Oh. Um, I think I'm going to go with Little Nelly. Boo! Um, 
<laughs> I just love how they use the music and it's so cool. Um, but special props to Goldfinger, which is just amazing um, and majesties. But Little Nelly, I love just the whole concept of it and the helicopters. And it's the first great use of the Bond theme in a battle, in my opinion. As for the climax battle, the first three are still kind of finding their place. Fort Knox is fun, but it's not brilliant. I think we were pretty positive on Thunderball compared to a lot of other Bond fans. Um, we liked the underwater, but it had its issues. Majesties, I really love it. We talked about Lazenby sliding down on the ice and facing off with Blofeld and Draco's men coming in on the choppers. But I'm in agreement. You only live twice and you guys have covered it, but there is just so much in that. Um, guy with sword, ninjas, Hans is probably the worst part of that, but you've got the Sato being shot for no reason. And I know it's really silly of me, but I cannot stop laughing about that scene where <laughs> Bond almost goes to space. Like, <laughs> after that podcast, I was still thinking about that moment and laughing that I probably looked like an idiot on the bus when I was laughing over that moment. But it just... I can watch that scene and it just cracks me up. Bond in the space suit heading for the rocket. <laughs> what was he thinking? Uh, but it summarises a lot of um, the recurring elements through the 60s and I think it was a good way of just setting our opinions on it and uh, uh, setting in stone uh, what what we think of the Bond girls and battles and, on you know, that jazz but let's move into kind of the end of this uh, '60s retrospective. And Hold on. Uh, before, before we before we move on there, I just want to quickly interrupt and say I completely forgot about the the car chase with Tracy in uh, the, the the town in Honor Magic Secret Service. I'm so blinded by how good the ski chase is that I often forget that. So I have to change my answer. That sequence, the fact that it's Tracy doing it too, and not Bond, we get. The, one of the best action scenes and Bond's not even involved he's just in the passenger seat I love that one um, really quickly before we get into a closing thing just one other question that came up here is how about the location of the movies you know Bond's gone to a lot of different countries whether it be the main location or Kentucky um, <laughs> <laughs> I think mine's pretty obvious what uh, my choice would be I'll just kind of go first here uh, obviously it's going to be Nassau I booked my honeymoon Talk, spent about five minutes talking my wife into going to the Bahamas without telling her I want to go there for James Bond locations and then spent a couple of days looking for James Bond locations. I love that one. Uh, what about you? Uh, you? Why don't you go first, Noah? Which location would be your favorite? Uh, yeah, not Kentucky. Um, J- Jamaica's great, um, as is the Bahamas. I think Goldfinger's a bit lacking there. Istanbul, it's such a beautiful city, and I love the underground kind of catacombs and Russian clocks are always correct. Um, I think I might give it to the Swiss Alps. Uh, Tokyo was great, but Swiss Alps was just so so much happened with the ski chase and the car, and it's just we talked about the the chopper shots, and it's just really an amazing location. Well, I was going to say uh, Peace Gloria. Um, you stole my answer. Um, but I'll, I'll say it anyway. Um, special nod to Jamaica, though. I mean, I do like the Bahamas. Jump up, jump up. Um, Jamaica. I mean, there really hasn't been a location that I didn't like. Well, Kentucky. Kentucky. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like I, I love snow. I love cold weather. So I, I'll have to give props to the Swiss Alps. Um, although... Um, yeah, Jamaica, the original um, Crab Key, 
you know, you go there to catch crabs, apparently. So and, dra- and dragons and quarrels burning there. So and get the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't bring that up. <laughs> oh, favorite dog. Uh, oh, and I just want to quickly special note favorite bits that I didn't mention. What's that map doing now? What's going on with the floor? <laughs> <laughs> what is this, America? I'm uncomfortable with this area. But um, yes, anyway, that's my favorite location. Yeah, peace, glory. It's great. Um, all right, so I think we always end our other episodes with this, so I think we should just kind of set it in. We're going to see how much uh, Bond actually does in each decade. So, Ben, do you have the final numbers for the... Mr. Kiss, Kiss, According to us, there's been a bit of a debate, but uh, for the 60s that we can lock in on this episode before we move into di- uh, Diamonds After Forever. I was going to say, die another day. We're just skipping. Yeah, I almost did. A couple of decades there. Yeah, uh, so for our 60s Kiss Kiss Bang Bang count, are we going to play that intro perhaps? Mr. Kiss Kiss there it is. Yeah, we just yeah. did. Oh, did we? Oh, well, I played it twice. Whatever, my bad. Um, <laughs> oopsies. Uh, we like it that much. Um, so, for the kills, uh, we have got 83. For the uh, underwater bubbly moments, we've got 19. For the martinis, we have 5. And for the Bond James Bonds, we have 4. So, um, pretty murderous bastard James Bond is in the... Uh, in the 60s, I was just going to run Sean Connery's count, because um, obviously we have to have separate Bond ones. So Connery's count was yeah. 76 kills, 16 um, underwater, we roots, fucks, whatever. Uh, four <laughs> martinis and two uh, Bond James Bonds for, and for Lazenby, our only other Bond in the 60s. Uh, seven kills, three roots, one martini and two Bond James Bonds. Well, technically Connery's not done, but... Yeah, um, for the 60s years anyway. 60s Connery, yes. Um, and yeah, I have a feeling all of those numbers, literally everyone, will be increased in the next decade. Um, so let's also summarise the rankings. This has been one of my favourite parts of the episode, um, and I've not pre-selected these. I'm literally doing them as we go, and I have no idea what my first one is going to be. But for me, so far, I have ranked number one on MSG's Secret Service, followed by From Russia With Love, then Goldfinger, then Dr. No, then You Only Live Twice, and bringing up the rear is Thunderball. I'm very different. I have Honor Majesty's Secret Service at the top. Maybe not that different. Uh, <laughs> then From Russia With Love, then Goldfinger, then Thunderball, then You Only Live Twice. No, not according to my list. Oh, Dr. No. <laughs> and then- <laughs> Have I written that down wrong? (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, mine's, I think, probably the most different compared to you two. I've got, well, besides the first one, On Imagine Secret Services first. uh, We've all got that one. I have Goldfinger second, From Russia With Love third, then You Only Live Twice, Doctor No, and then Thunderball at the end. So I guess we'll um, revisit these at the end of each decade and also look at our decade rankings as well. I'm really fascinated to see how this ends with all our lists, how different they will be, because they started so similar and they've only changed with each one. I guess we can um, rank the decades too. Where would we put the 60s? I'd put it at first right now. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. well, yeah, we've all got 60s at first um, and 50s with Barry Nelson at second. Um, uh, just quickly, we would normally do the Hall of Fame. I was thinking, do we have maybe... I don't know, six moments for the 60s or um, one one per film that should go in the Hall of Fame that's really iconic to the decade. 
Um, I'm not sure if we've got anything there. If I had to pick from Doctor No, uh, I would probably go with uh, going against Bond, James Bond. I'd probably go with Honey's introduction on the beach. Uh, from Rush with Love, the train conversation with Bond and Grant, uh, Goldfinger, uh, the laser scene, um, Thunderball. I'm going to defend the underwater battle. I love it. <laughs> you only live twice. The climax of the movie, uh, it's unbeatable. And Honor Majesty's Secret Service. I push really hard for it. I'm going to go with Bond's proposal to Tracy. Um, yeah, Doctor No can't go past. Um, I, I'd, I'd choose Honey emerging from the water um, from uh, from Russia with Love. The fight, uh, Red Grant and Bond, Goldfinger. There's no way you can go past. You expect me to talk? No, I expect you to die. Um, Thunderball, um, yeah, I'd say the fight sequence, or the jetpack, no, actually, no, jetpack, oh, God, I'm defending jetpack a lot this episode. Um, <laughs> you only live twice. Um, I, I would put Blofeld's introduction, um, and on a Magic Secret Service, I would go the death of Tracy, and the, just the, the speech that Lazenby has, and how sort of sad that moment is. She's just having a rest. Um, for me... It's going to be Honey because Bond, James Bond, is brilliant, but he doesn't actually say that much in the 60s, so it doesn't really represent the 60s too much as much as it is later films. From Russia with Love, it has to be The Train with Rick Grant. Um, Goldfinger, uh, yeah, let's go with The Table. Thunder to be... I think he got the point because Vargas's death. I am going to say anything with Vargas dying is a plus. Um, you only live twice. It have to, has to be Blofeld's introduction because he's such an iconic character from the 60s. So I feel like we should make note of that. And then it has to be poor old Tracy Contessa um, dying thanks to Fräulein Irma Bunt. Um, very tragic. She's just having a rest. So that's kind of our summar- summary of the Hall of Fame, so to say. So just to bring an end to this um, podcast and also to the 60s, I guess we can talk about just summarising quickly a few sentences, our thoughts on the 60s of the decade and also previewing what's to come with the 70s. And I'll just say I freaking love these six films that we've talked about. I think it probably might be the best decade of films. There's so many great characters, some I haven't even taken notice of until this time through. And I could easily go back and watch any of these films right now except for maybe Thunderball. Um and you only lose twice, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's it's been a great decade, and I'm sure we will talk about it a lot more in subsequent episodes. But for now, we're not going to talk too much of the 60s for at least a while. And for the 70s, I've always been a more a more guy. I love uh, Campy Bond as much as I love Serious One. I love the comedy, and I'm super excited. Even though I've loved talking about Connery, I am really excited to get into a distinct shift in the series and talk about some i think we're going to have a lot of fun with these upcoming films we've got sheriff jw pepper coming a lot of great moors some great cue scenes coming and some great comedy so i think it's going to be a lot different to these past six we've talked about but it's also going to be a lot of fun uh what about you colin the 60s and looking forward to the 70s oh and i love diamonds are forever can't wait for next week the 60s is the peak of Bond. I don't know if anybody can argue that. Uh, these are the original movies. These are the ones that did them best. They stuck to Fleming best. They have Connery. 
even when you get to Honor of Majesty's Secret Service, I mean, even without Connor, I mean, it's a perfect conclusion to the decade. So I don't think anything can top this. But I've already said many times, I don't really care for a lot of the movies in the 70s. There's maybe only two that I'm a really big fan of. But I think that this could be more fun to podcast and talk about than the 60s. Uh, because for better or worse, these are funnier movies. And uh, the Roger Moore, as you said, I mean, I like Roger Moore. A lot of people just dump all over the guy, but I think he's hilarious. And uh, I think that he can bring a lot out of even the bad movies in the 70s. So even if I'm not excited to watch the movies, I'll be excited to talk about them and make fun of them. Yeah, look, again, as I said at the top of the, the show, I hadn't seen these films in a lot of time, and I very much enjoyed them. Um I, I would agree with Colin. It's a peak of James Bond. Look, as much as I fucking love Brosnan era and I cannot wait till we get to the 90s, um, you know, it's the only decade that we have one Bond play, um, you know, in each of the films. Like Each decade we have a different Bond at least once um, throughout. Um, yeah. And I absolutely love the 80s. I'm probably the only one here that loves the 80s Bonds. Um, but 60s has really sort of um, turned around for me and I've really appreciated it. And it's kind of going to be interesting moving forward now going into one more Connery. I'm like you, Noah. I love Diamonds Are Forever. I am not like you, however, in liking Roger Moore. I've always not <laughs> been a Roger Moore fan. I've always thought he was the worst Bond and I'm hoping my opinion will get changed, just like it has in the 60s with some of these films. Uh, similar situation again, that I have not seen some of these films from the 70s in a very long time. Um, I can't remember the last time I saw The Spy Who Loved Me. It's been a very long time. Um, you know, Ooh, you're in for a treat. Moonraker, mm. I've seen a fair bit. Um, not a fan. Um, and then, obviously, uh, Man with the Gold Gun and Live and Let Die. Uh, again, probably been a while since I've seen those. So... Um, when I picture Roger Moore, I think of an old man. So see him, you know, as a, quote, younger man um, is going to be fascinating. But I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to reliving these films and uh, having fun along the way uh, and moving forward into the 70s. Yeah, I have to say just quickly, um, a huge part of this podcast series I'm excited with is just your progress, I guess, Ben, because I've always I've always known you're not a Roger Moore fan, so I've been excited to get to these ones to see how you react to it. And also, I know you're not a, quote, old movie fan um, and haven't seen some of these 60s ones in a while, so it's been fun to see, uh, I guess, not a new reaction, but a refreshed reaction towards it. Um, so that will be very interesting to see how you go with the next 15 years of Roger Moore, so it's going to be a fair few more episodes uh, in a row, but we've got Never Say Never Again, so we can mix it up a bit. But yeah, that's it. The 60s is done. We can put a stamp in it, um, a stamper in it. I think <laughs> it, it, I think that well, there's so much we could say about this decade, um, and we will, as I said, talk about it more in future episodes, but I think we've covered so much of this, and it's been such a great uh, nine episodes. Um, and with that, I will say that my name has been Groves, Noel Groves. Um, keep under those mango trees. Don't move. Uh, we can make Boolaloo soon. And I'm Colin Hilding, and if you don't hear from me for a while, it's okay. I'm just having a rest. 
Oh, damn it, you stole. Stop it, I'm going with what I'm going to say anyway. Uh, and my name is Ben Waterworth. It's all right, it's quite all right, really. She's having a rest. We'll be getting on soon. There's no hurry, really. We have all the time in the world. Uh, well, yeah, I'm having a rest too if you two are having a rest. No way I'm doing this if you guys aren't going to be doing it. The, the rest will come to an end and Diamonds Are Forever is coming. We've got Blofeld and Drag and so much more and Roger Moore is coming. So make sure you stay tuned. We will be back. Uh, Hashtag well, bring back Lazenby. Hashtag bring back Lazenby. Hashtag the man from Hong Kong. Hashtag any Lazenby film I can only remember too. Thank you. Good night. This is 1969 New Year's Eve ticking over to the big 7-0.